Welcome back to The Full Cat with Bruce Dobigan. I'm Bruce Dobigan, and this is where curiosity leads me. If you enjoy these podcasts, do go to iTunes, look under Not the Public Podcast, and subscribe. We're also available on a number of your other favorite platforms. For centuries, the seas and rivers around the globe were mankind's highways. If you wanted to travel beyond the horizon or ship goods to the New World, you did it via ships. Until the past 200 years or so, those ships were propelled by wind and sail. Today, air travel has superseded the oceans. The age of the great passenger liner is at an end, and sailing is just a commercial enterprise for cargo containers. But one Canadian company is seeking to challenge that seeming death sentence. One Ocean Expeditions out of Squamish, BC, is attempting to rewrite the template for passenger travel, marrying the lust for adventure with an eye on sustainable travel to the poles and in between. They carry the curious and the restless in search of wildlife, natural habitats, and some hair-raising rides in Zodiac boats. Andrew Prosson is the CEO of One Ocean Expeditions. He grew up dreaming of the sea in Cape Breton. Later on, he was winning races across the Atlantic in a 30-foot sailboat and sailing around Cape Horn in a 70-knot Southern Ocean gale. The Queen's grad brags he's worked in the coldest, highest, darkest, windiest, loneliest places on Earth. In 2014, he was part of a team that discovered the HMS Erebus, one of Sir John Franklin's ships that was wrecked 150 years ago in an expedition to the Northwest Passage. He's now added a unique golf and cruising line called Fiddles and Sticks, a marriage of great courses in the Maritimes such as Cabot Links and Cliffs, Crowbridge Cove, and Highland Links. I sat down with him in the bar of the Russian ship Academic Yofi on the initial cruise and asked him how a kid from Sydney became so enamored with sailing. So I wanted to start with, tell me, first of all, how a kid from Cape Breton got to be, a, a, you know, an explorer. How did all that happen? Uh, it's, a, it, it's a long story, but yet a simple story. I suppose I just grew up uh, staring out the window I, in Sydney, Nova Scotia. We were, I was lucky enough to have a house on a hill there. My, uh, in Westmount overlooking, I could see the whole harbor from my bedroom window and I used to just, I started just watching boats coming and going, sailboats and yachts and big ships and fishing ships and I just developed a love of the sea. I joke now that I, I was the sort of unofficial harbor master. I knew everybody's <laughs> business as they were coming and going and watched which ones did what. I think I knew how to run a ship before I even stepped foot on one. Um, and then I just developed from there to into sailing and I, I uh, would, would go race a sailboat at any chance I, I could get and that took me all over the world and uh, and ultimately led me to run away from the corporate life and to, to uh, a bit of a life at sea, the, the trip to Antarctica that turned into this. What, what is it about the sea? What's the lure of the sea? We've heard it for many people talking about for you. What's the lure of the sea? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, uh, I suppose it's it's knowing that, that there's no boundary, knowing that it... Uh, that it, uh, you can, that the world is out there sort of thing, above and below it, right? And, and uh, I think it's always just given me peace, and I suppose that's part of it, is, is that uh, there is no limit on what you can do on, on the sea, not any kind of boundaries, there are no, don't, no man-made rules, so to speak, it's all nature. Yeah. Um, running a sailboat is a lot is a complicated thing. In a lot of ways, you have to you have a crew that has to run the sailboat. So 
I think that part of it has always intrigued me about uh, sailboat racing is, is the in, all the moving parts of a sailboat and people and, and trying to get them all to work together. Tell me a little bit, you, you did some some major racing, uh, transatlantic, did, tell me about that. Uh, yeah, we, we raced uh, across the Bass Strait a few times in, uh, in Hobart in, in Australia and uh, raced across the Atlantic. Uh, that was goes back to about 1998, I think it was. It was called the Legends Cup. Uh, we took three of us uh, in a 30-foot boat, what's called a J92, a little uh, sport boat meant for racing around harbors and bays, and uh, we, we raced that across the Atlantic and uh, from Newport to England, to Plymouth, England. And uh, it took us 21 days, and uh, uh, it was quite a quite a deal. And, and I've just had this love of, uh, of offshore sailing. Uh, I've done a lot of high-performance dinghy sailing too, and basically I, I just jumped on whatever boat I could, and uh, and in all sorts of different roles from bow to stern. And uh, but that I suppose was my biggest uh, sailboat racing accomplishment was winning that race in 1998. Do you prefer a big boat, or do you prefer? A Some people just like to be themselves alone in a boat and, yeah. and doing it themselves. Other people love the big boats that move fast. What, what's your preference? I used to race with guys that liked uh, single-handed sailing, but I never really was into it. I, uh, it, it, you know, the, I wasn't really into just being out there alone. It was more about a crew, about uh, working with a team of people, and and. Uh, uh, not always a big crew. I like sailing with, with small numbers, but uh, several people and uh, trying to develop teamwork, etc. And, and uh, uh, so it, it, I was never drawn to that being the solitude of, of the sea sort of thing. Uh, but I guess it was the adventure and the, the limits thing that I mentioned uh, um, of the, the attraction of it. Uh, even offshore, even the long, I like the long distance races. There's something to be said about leaving on whether it's on a ship like this or or on a sailboat leaving leaving the dock and and that becomes your universe right it uh, uh when you no matter how long a trip it is you you sure from time to time you think about things back home and as you're getting closer to the end you think more uh but uh but your reality is that those those uh, few feet from the stern of the boat to the bow, wherever that is, and, and keeping that rolling and keeping people safe and trying to win the race while you're doing it, etc., etc. And, and I think that total absorption into into the the cause was a big attraction to me in offshore sailing. Yeah, it, it struck me when we were in Lewisburg. Well, it's not a new idea, but it, it struck me it was sort of brought home again that in those days that that was the highway, that the ocean, the waters were a highway. That's how the, the only way you could really get anywhere in long distances. And, and they kept talking about people coming back and forth to France and as, if, as if it was like, you know, a little trip on the Trans-Canada Highway. And what we we're talking about was like a, a, a month, six weeks, depending on the weather, etc. That that whole notion of, the, of, of it being a highway is also, I guess we don't see it now, but it was certainly a big deal at the time. Oh, sure it was. And, and Canada has lost its sort of leadership role in ocean-going sailings, if you will, whether it be passengers or freight. Uh, um, but but Cape Breton and Lewisburg once played a very dominant role. There was a time where Lewisburg was one of the, the three or four busiest ports in North America. We're going way back. Uh, um, and uh, uh, geographically speaking, Cape Breton is still in, in a prime spot. It just so happens the way things have developed. Uh, but uh, the, so there's still all that traffic coming up and down the coast and circling across to, the, to Europe. 
uh, it's uh, it, uh, just Canada's not in the in the forefront. As far as passenger shipping goes, we're we're sort of on a mission to bring some of that back to Canada, back to Eastern Canada, where all those traditions, etc., and the Cunard, and, uh, and uh, there's no reason why it can't become a haven again for for passenger shipping with all we have here around the Maritimes. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things, of course, that is a feature of your philosophy is that uh, you like to go to some pretty extreme places. You're, you're, you're not a guy who just like, wants to sail the Great Lakes or just go up and down the Strait. You like to go to places and take people to remote places, especially cold places. For Canadians, you know, we want to get away from cold weather, and you seem to want to find ever colder places to go. How did that happen? Well, we're, we're the the term that's used in in this sector or this industry is expedition cruising, and we're one of the last of the operators, if not the last, to, to really take the word expedition seriously, and we're really carving out and reinforcing that niche of, of it being a real expedition. The cruise word is still there. We still make our passengers feel very very comfortable and and uh, and uh, safe, of course, and. Uh, so there's not a great risk being taken, but yet it is very much an expedition. And in order to do that, uh, you have to you have to go off the beaten track a little bit. Uh, so we make it a point of trying not to tie up the ship at, at in terminals anywhere, cruise terminals, etc., and, and trying to find beaches where we can land zodiacs and remote things to do and wild things to do. We're not about being the most adventurous tour operator there's ever been. We, it's just all about seeing the wild places. Uh, that's not always the most adventurous to get there. And, and, um, I suppose we, we throw around the word authentic, like an authentic expedition. Even, we've got a hundred people here and that's a small ship by today's measure and, and trying to make that feel as close as possible to an authentic expedition. Yeah. And the most important piece of kit is the foul weather gear because you need it almost every day. And we're, we've all made the observations this is the first time we've gone to go play golf and had to put on the boots and well, the whole bit. It's part of the it's part of the attraction. Someone said today, actually, we're standing at sunny and uh, whatever temperature it is outside, and maybe maybe 24, 25 degrees Celsius uh, yeah. uh, on the Magdalen Islands here, these beautiful beaches, and and here we are walking around in foul weather gear and 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 rubber boots, yeah. and and uh, not not worrying that that's not a, a very good fashion statement uh, walking through town, and and, uh, and people find that kind of liberating on our tours that they that there aren't the airs because our, our base piece of clothing is, is a good high quality pair of rubber boots and foul weather gear so uh, so there's no fanciness to that right yeah. the pants came in handy yesterday <laughs> i just left them on and played golf them, i golfed in them i put a bucket hat on and i was happy as a bug in a rug uh, so you're a kid from cape breton but you're you, you go across the country you're over on the west coast you're in squamish i think that's where you're based at yep. now your company's based now how do you how do you come to your mission statement? How do you come to this particular mission statement and what it says about you? Well, we 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 like to to think we're educating people about these wild places and, and giving people that authentic experience to help them appreciate that the world really is one ocean. Uh, that they're, that they're, we need to take care of the planet. And uh, you can be come from whatever belief or walk of life or whatever, but but I think we all unite on that one that, that the planet and the oceans need to be taken care of, and our future 
our future is right there in the oceans, whether that be resources or food or, or recreation or travel. Uh, and, uh, and so all of that is, is important that they, and so we need to understand them. And I, I remember when I came to that, to the idea of the name of the company was, was just that, that I thought, wow, yeah, if the, if the, uh, if I learned, you know, maybe if my generation was taught to, instead of Atlantics and Pacific, maybe it was just the ocean. We might have appreciated more of the complexities and what was going on in what we call the Indian Ocean a little bit more, and in and, and the South China Sea, and etc., and, and, and worried more about how things, how it all was being treated. Uh, one thing you've got are, of course, are fiddlers and, and musicians. Yeah. But the other thing that you've got on these these that struck me, of course, you've got an ornithologist, yeah. you've got marine biologists, you've got people who people on board can access to get more out of it. How did that come about? The, the, for 25, 30 years now, we've been developing my whole industry. Uh, I'm on the executive of my trade association in Antarctica, and, and we've been honing that product, and it really is a magical product, the Antarctic Expedition Cruise uh, product, and we've been honing that, and now we're, we're on a mission to take that to other destinations. And So we bring that team of naturalists, and the whole point is, as you can see, we, we, we're not big on having a lot of entertainment it's more about about learning and and, and a bit a bit of active and uh, so we bring that team of naturalists who also happen to be very good guides everywhere we go so that we we can provide send people home not just having a good time but knowing a little more about the places that they've been to I, I was thinking of the movie Master and Commander, of course, <laughs> where, where they end up at the Galapagos, and of course he's yeah. taking one of the guys who's the, who is, is basically the doctor on board, but he's also the naturalist going to the going to the the, the fault, uh, going to the Galapagos, etc. And I had that image when I was well, talking to some of the guys here, and and, and just about their mission, because uh, for people who are going to go on one of these cruises, they're going to find out that they're not just an ornithologist or a naturalist, but they're also sometimes taking your wine order, and they're yes. also <laughs> helping you yeah. drive a boat so you really do look seem to look for people who have some versatility oh yes and and the the core the core is is uh, we look for people that are going to be good with people no matter how tired they get etc that they have a calm demeanor and a calming demeanor and uh, and just make people feel comfortable and at home we're not we're not setting out to be the most uh, uh, formal in our in our appearance in our in our customer perception of our service uh, but uh, it's no less comprehensive. Yeah. And, uh, we want people to just feel comfortable and put your feet up if you want, walk around in your flip-flops if you want. Uh, that that it's, uh, there's no airs about it, but yet we want to make people very, very comfortable. We'll never use the word luxury in our marketing material. Uh, although I gather you're going to go to a, a slightly bigger boat next year yeah. when you try this, would it yeah. explain about, uh, for people who don't know, what we're on is a research, yeah. a Rus Russian research vessel, yeah. but you're going to sort of transition a bit. Explain that. We're, we're on a, a research vessel now that's been kitted out to carry passengers, and uh, we're moving, well, we're, we're adding in another vessel to the fleet as we grow. Uh, built in the same shipyard, it's five years newer, but a lot, with a lot of the same ice technology, etc. Uh, a very, very capable expedition ship, but it also happens to, rather than being built specifically for science, this one was built specifically for carrying passengers. Mm. So it has uh, uh, inherently a lot more comfort and 
ability to provide a higher level of service. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're still going to deliver the, this authentic product and have, have uh, we've got a science program planned for it. Uh, the educational aspect will still be there. We're developing an auditorium down below uh, for, for the presentations uh, and we'll have that. So, so all the same components. Uh, working very closely with some of our, of our usual organizations on that science and the community development. It'll still be very much a, an, an authentic expedition. We bet we're, we're having the kayaking. Uh, we'll, do, we'll move uh, our golf program over to it and we run very much the same program, mm -hmm. just, uh, just uh, with uh, bigger windows. <laughs> But as a, a devoted golfer myself, I'm, I'm still going to say this, that golf is considered a little bit bourgeois for guys who mm -hmm. tend to spend a lot of time up in the Arctic or the Antarctic yeah. run, running around. Are you, were you concerned when you segued into this particular market about maybe losing your identity? Uh, no. No, I mean, we're, we're marketing it a little differently. We're obviously, our network of travel agents will be different to sell this golf product. There's no question about that. But a lot of our clients are regular golfers. A lot of our Antarctic clients are regular golfers. And I'm, I'm sure from these golf cruises, we'll have some interest in some of our other products as well. We're already getting asked that with the, with the few dozen people we've got on board here, with 50 or 60 people. And uh, uh, that will, uh, I think, will just grow as we grow this. And, and they don't match up perfectly immediately. but but. On the other hand, uh, the product we've been developing here in the Maritimes, the, the Fins and Fiddles program, uh, it fits perfectly with. This is this. It's just uh, it's surprisingly easy to bolt this activity onto what we've already been doing, as you've seen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we've developed a. We've done so many different act types of activities over the years. For example, we were the the company for for years now. We've been organizing marathons in Antarctica. Uh, and uh, uh, we work with an outside uh, uh, company in Boston to help us do that. Mm -hmm. And we were the ones that brought kayaking to Antarctica and to the Arctic and even to the Maritimes here in the paddleboarding. Uh, we do the camping overnight. So we, we're used to, to other activities besides just bird watching and, and figuring out how to incorporate that without, without losing, right. losing your street cred. Yeah. Uh, I'm very confident that won't happen here. It, 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 it may not be... A, exactly the same vibe as our other cruises on board but uh, and like i said we'll sell it in a slightly different market than, than our network of agents etc our sales channels will be different there's no question yeah um, i expect once we prove the concept though that a lot of our uh, there'll be a lot of our past antarctic clients trying it out was your mind always on doing it here in Cape Breton and, and, and in the, the Maritimes, or did you consider the West Coast uh, in terms of a place to for take golf, it for uh, golfing? It came, the idea came here at uh, uh, basically sitting on one of these trips in the Maritimes and, and uh, thinking what other activities could we do on, on this trip to the, the Fins and Fiddles trip to make it a, even better. Mm. We happened to be just off, off the shore of a golf course at the time, and I thought, well, why not? try golf yeah uh, and then we just said well let, let's do it as a whole beast because we did feel that for the golf to be successful we'd have to dedicate to it right we couldn't add it like we had bird watching or something because of the time it takes so so the the core activity the time it takes to play 18 holes of golf the core activity each day would have to be the golf and then build other things around it right and that's how we instead of others might come in and say well let's add this and give people the option of going to play golf yeah but it, 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 when a normal excursion is three or four hours but a, a day of golf is five or six yeah 
uh, you couldn't really do that. You'd have to have that as your dedicated. Uh, yeah. And everything else becomes ancillary. But you've got, uh, I mean, I've, one of the reasons we're all here is you've got as, as good a group of courses that you could possibly ask yeah. for as a golfer. Yeah. Uh, was that difficult to tie them together? Uh, no, and, and and this is where the interesting part of the concept, but before I mention that, that with all those activities, the thing we're proud of is that we've been able to keep that integrity so that we have the world's greatest spouses program, right, <laughs> for the non-golfing spouses or right. partners or friends or whatever. Uh, now, that, that that's where it really plays out, and we're seeing that they're those spouses that came along are, are taking up off. the biking was full today, yep. and so was the paddling, the, the kayaking and the paddleboarding. Uh, that really made me happy to see to see all of that, and the same thing that uh, some people paddled the Mercury River while others were playing at Cabot Cliffs, and, yeah. and uh, uh, there aren't too many uh, programs that can do that. Uh, your other question, I forget what it was. Uh, just was it hard to get those particular oh, courses? They're yes, always yes. they're very much in demand. You want people to arrive and have the core of the day there. Uh, a lot of courses don't like to give that yeah. up. Yep, it uh, it took some work. Uh, uh, I guess we were in early, and we and we to book those times, uh, and and uh, it, it it worked out well. And then we, we built the itinerary to some degree. We had to build it around the availability, but a lot of the itinerary was built around what was the efficient way to sail. You know, as some of these courses, as Cabot gets even busier, that may get more challenging. We'll see. But but for now, it works very very well. The great thing about all of this is these these courses are close enough that we don't have to scurry off as soon as people finish their, their game because we have a lot of miles to right. And And the, the, the number one feature, I think, of this is to go on a, on a golf tour, which is a growing sector now, and uh, not have to pack your bag every morning. You check out of a hotel and put your bag on a bus and all yeah. that stuff, right? Um, and we're trying to make this as seamless as possible and have people worry about their own clubs and all that stuff as little as possible and uh, we're, we're honing that even more for next time but uh, already we're off to a great start on that and, and it, it, like I said the logistics of it is not it, it's not as complicated for a, a company like us as it might seem because we're already used to moving equipment the cycles for example we developed a program where those get ashore before the people get ashore so it's a bag, a bag of golf clubs or a, or a bicycle it's you have to be pretty delicate with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is very impressive to see it coming and going. Uh, just finally, um, you got, I'm presuming you're going to continue doing this particular thing. Yeah. Are you go, have you got any other golf ideas in mind? Yes, we have the, the so in 2019, we've got uh, the first one on the calendar is the, the Scotland, Ireland and Scotland. I believe it's starting in Dublin. Uh, and that's uh, in June. And then in early July is, is this one, both on the same ship, the RCGS Resolute. And uh, very excited about both of them. Uh, and, and we want to get that one off the ground and really get these two firing. And then we'll probably add something more. Uh, as, as you know, we're in Central America. Maybe we can find piece something together there. Uh, we have... Uh, we, we, we would like to expand a little bit here in the Maritimes. Maybe there's more stuff we can do in Europe as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some other things. I was talking with some uh, clients today about some other courses here in the Maritimes that would be neat to add here. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you, wanna, you don't want to make it too long. It will just tire people out to have too many courses in a row. But uh, 
uh, there are there are some other ones in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick that uh, might be attractive. So uh, uh, I think building on those two ma major destinations. Uh, well, I know the minute I told people what your itinerary was and that I was going on it, the envy started right away. So I know that <laughs> there's going to be a lot of people who are going to hear, and not, not only, as I say, the golf part, but also there the is, Zodiacs. There is, by the way, a nine-hole golf course in uh, Patagonia, in Ushuaia, the end of the world, and I believe there's one in the Falkland Islands. Maybe we should do something there. <laughs> You always have wind ideas. might be a factor. <laughs> <laughs> well, after yesterday's wind uh, at Cabot, uh, I'm prepared. I think we'd be prepared for anything. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, this—it's just been a wonderful trip. I'm really looking forward to also yeah. doing the, the Scotland Ireland thing. I think that would be really a wonderful addition. And I, as a golfer, I can never find enough good itineraries. And so I thank <laughs> you very much for adding this one. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming along. Appreciate it. You've been listening to The Full Cat with Bruce Dobigan. Our guest this episode, sailor and adventurer Andrew Prosson of One Ocean Expeditions. Now don't forget to subscribe to The Full Cat and all the podcasts at iTunes and on my website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. You can also access my columns, my podcasts, and my poetry on that website. I'm also now appearing twice a week on Sirius XM Radio, Channel 167 Canada Talks. I'm on at noon Eastern Time. Mondays and Fridays. I'll post those conversations on the website, on Twitter, and on my Facebook page. Till the next time, this is Bruce Dobigan, and remember, the story isn't complete till it reaches the full count.